0: Project Lawful, a.k.a. Plane Crash, by Yarwain, a.k.a. Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 1, Mad Investor Chaos
1: and the Woman of Asmodeus. Episode 46.
0: Hi again, Carissa. I'm about to start winding down my workday, but before I switch to non-work mode, I should try my cleric spells. Could just do it with security, if you didn't want to be there. I'm in.
2: But a touch reluctant, mildly traumatized by what happened yesterday, so hopefully he won't think anything of the rest of the girls being somewhere far away where their anxieties and desires cannot be detected.
0: Carissa may still be a little under-calibrated on how much Keltham can sight-read Chellish expressions. He can't see anything meant to be subtle. To a secure workroom, then. First up is a first-circle abjuration. Protection.
2: From evil but they've already strategically modified the relevant sources. It creates a defensive magical barrier and makes it impossible for summoned creatures to come into contact with you. It's commonly used at the World Wound as a cheap
0: shield. That's not easy to understand if it's either a message or an actual contingency. Things shouldn't be summonable inside the Forbiddance, right? Or is somebody going to come in with an army of summoned creatures from the outside? Correct, security confirms.
2: Could mean uh, your protections still aren't adequate, or that there's a summoned entity already here.
0: Actually, third circle unidentified conjuration, that's the thing that does summoning. Maybe it's meant to be used before I use that. How long does protection last, and can somebody tap me with a new one if this one runs out?
1: Yes, though also if it's a summoning, you're going to have to leave the forbiddens to do it.
2: Lasts two minutes per caster circle.
0: Any way to tell by looking at the spell structure, if somebody wants to show me an illusion of something.
1: Security shows the spell structure for Planar Inquiry, and then for Summon Monster 3, and then for Infernal Challenger.
0: Summon Monster 3. Okay, I don't get it. What is that and why do I have it? Unless the message is simply leave the Forbiddance.
1: It summons an extraplanar creature. You can get a minor outsider with it, or an animal. If you want to use it, we'll have to leave the Forbiddance. But that could probably be done safely if it's done briefly and not telegraphed in advance. So, probably now, if you want to do it.
0: Literally right now? If so, start walking and I'll follow while I ask my additional questions. By not telegraphed in advance, you mean we have to leave right now before any intelligence leak could tell an adversary to prepare an assault?
1: This room is very shielded, but I would want to depart it intending to head straight there. To be clear, We have no reason to believe this facility is being observed by any adversary. But your god's communications are consistent with there being some threat, and with sufficiently powerful magic, it would be possible to surpass our precautions. Or there could be a spy.
0: Huh. I wish I had a much better idea of exactly how well my god can see my situation, and exactly how intricately predictive their plans are likely to be. Let's run through the other spells first, and then you can tap me with another protection and we can run outside and cast that one. Next up is an unfamiliar second circle divination, the one that doesn't go by touch. He's planning to save the early judgment for last, or now second to last, in case a vision of his or his god's afterlife ends up being awful news of some kind.
2: Augury. Gives advice from your god about whether a course of action, like should I step outside the forbiddens? I guess, will have immediately good or bad effects. Was an incredibly powerful spell when prophecy wasn't broken, and now it can only go off information that's already observable, just not to you. So it's fine for, like, warning you of ambushes, but lousy for anything more complicated. Even for ambushes, it now has a depressingly high false positive and false negative rate. I want to say one in four readings is just nonsensical and not from your God at all?
0: It doesn't quite make sense that his God would give him two auguries only to have one of them tell him not to go outside. But Keltham consents that he needs to supply this question basically like now, so he says, out loud, Effect of going outside the Forbiddance. Probably he's got two, so that he can actually think of the correct question on hash two.
3: The god of knowledge would prefer that this augury fail, thank you very much.
0: I think it failed entirely, actually. Or at least I didn't get any information off it. Possibly waiting that long to ask the question didn't help. Keltham had two auguries, but it's not obvious he should tell them that. Next, unfamiliar third-circle divination. There's two of them that look pretty similar.
4: Abadar is incredibly fucking done with everyone messing with his cleric. Does Abadar go tax the temple of Nethys in Sothis into ruin because he likes money? No. The thing about augury is that it's such a noisy, broken channel now, with prophecy broken, no message can get through with Nethys opposing it but he can be mad about it. This spell gives him a sense of carissa and security and a
5: sense that there aren't other minds in the room and a sense he can see a new angle of them.
2: Detect desires. Considered kind of invasive, for
0: what it's worth, and
2: spellcasters will automatically try to fight it off, though I'm trying to not because we're trying to build trust here.
0: My god gave me a non-consensual mind-reading spell? Carissa. He almost tells her to fight it off for civilization's sake. But this could be about building trust if his god knows that he knows that they weren't expecting it. You can let me read your desires if you're okay with it, Carissa. I don't see your job as requiring this. Security neither.
2: It's not exactly mind-reading, and I don't mind. The spell says that Carissa wants to be like Contessa Loralatha and wants to be a powerful wizard and wants to invent the lawful evil version of Dathelani teachings and bring them to every child in Cheliax and get rich and famous for it.
1: Security wants to get out of this whole mess alive, or at least with all his possessions restored post resurrection, and to meet his new daughter. They picked which security very strategically.
0: That's not absolute evidence, but it's evidence if they don't have easy ways to fake that too. He wishes it hadn't been obtained at that kind of cost. I have another third-circle divination, which looked a lot like that one, though not identical. You—I can't say it's not important, but civilization would correctly kick me out if I pressured you into this.
2: Carissa appreciates having had all day to think about what to say to him. Keltham, in a way, it's a gift, right? I want you to feel safer trusting me. I want you to have a real reason to.
0: He casts the spell, now and without further quibbling, because it means less the more time they have to prepare. And if he's going to do it, he may as well get as much trust from it as he can.
2: Carissa is scared of being turned into a statue and buried deep beneath the ground so she never gets an afterlife until the stone wears away after millions of years and maybe the universe is destroyed before then. That's it. That's the only thing.
1: Security is scared of fucking this up and dying, getting Keltham killed, getting fired and then having the kids think he's a loser.
0: I saw, Keltham says, and dismisses the spell's continuation with an almost violent act of will, more than a simple absence of concentration. It's off. Thank you. He can think of things to say to Carissa, about what she's afraid of, but but later, and only if she doesn't tell him to forget he ever saw it. Fourth circle abjuration, he says instead. Ready? Keltham sort of wants this over. Go. Cast.
2: Don't recognize it, but lasts two hours per caster circle? Protective against enchantments? Might also do something else?
0: Is somebody going to try to enchant me when I go outside the Forbiddance? Then why would my god suggest that I go outside in the first place? Well, obviously his god could be trying to protect him against internal adversary enchantments, too, from somebody who wasn't Carissa and probably not this security guard either or his god could be telling him to go outside and spring a trap on purpose instead of waiting for it to go off. Keltham really wishes he had a much better sense of what was normal for Galarian. Next up, unfamiliar second circle divination with touch target. I am going to tap myself with it. Be prepared to hit me with a dispel if I yell or fall over.
1: Ready, says security.
0: Spell boop.
5: A city, by the standards of Keltham's world, not even a particularly tall one, but a beautiful one, with rising golden spires and rooftop parks and flying gondolai and people on their busy way through shining streets, about half of them human and many of those who aren't things much stranger.
0: It's—I'm seeing into a different high-tech planet, one that isn't Dathilan. Definite magitech. Not just tech. Wide variety of aliens. I wish I had some way of showing them to you and then Keltham runs out of ability to speak. There's an almost painful wrenching at his heart, a sudden manifestation of the reverence and faith that a dath feels when watching a personnel launch to the moon base, but stronger than Keltham has ever felt it. This is the dream, what civilization wants to be when it grows up, only something beyond that, something that only appears in science fiction movies, because Dathilan knows with high probability that they won't run into any aliens for another half to two billion years. But if that wasn't true, if somehow it wasn't true, and the explanation for why the aliens hadn't already appeared wasn't anything bad, if somehow the aliens weren't already as unimaginably advanced as Dathilan will be in another hundred million years, but only equals, then this would be that place, the dream, a symbol that can't exist, of dozens of species existing together in peace. And commerce. He doesn't know how he knows, that the flying gondolae were bought and not just given away, but he knows it. It's not because they couldn't make enough to give away, but because people doing things to benefit one another and be benefited in return is something holy in itself, to them. It lasts a very long, very short time, and then it ends. He's crying. Not really much of a surprise there. Not what his gender trope says to do in front of Carissa, except in private, but drop table gender tropes. What spell was that? Keltham says, when it stops feeling improper to speak. He thinks he knows, obviously, but he wants to hear them say it.
2: Early judgment shows the afterlife you'd go to if you died now.
0: Do afterlives here? Are they known to draw from many planets, many planes with different sapient life forms? He's trying not to jump too fast to the obvious conclusion that his god isn't from around here any more than Keltham himself is.
2: They planned this out too, but that's not the question they were expecting. They draw from the other Galarian sapients, but not from other places that I've ever heard of.
0: Right. Non-humans here too. He'll try describing one of the aliens he saw, maybe. He'll remember. That one. That was a pretty striking one. I'll see if I can manage to learn Silent Image tomorrow. That's probably my top priority First Circle Wizard spell, and show you one of the aliens to see if it's already known. He wouldn't guess it to be known, but it sure is the sort of situation where he can be wrong.
2: Carissa very dearly wishes she could read his mind right now. Yeah, sounds good. Tomorrow, is that all your spells?
0: I've... got two of the early judgment. Maybe it would give me a glimpse of somebody else's afterlife, if that's okay. Again, I realize that's a pretty personal thing.
2: Not how the spell works, thankfully. It only shows the subject. Go ahead. Though actually, I think that it might just show the person touched. But you could try.
0: All right, then. Obviously volunteers only, so any volunteers?
6: Pilar, Curse of Laughter, Yarwain. Ooh, pick me. I mean, I volunteer.
5: Time for everyone to roll their will save to realize that there's no reason for Pilar to be there. Pilar has four oracle levels, three wizard levels, and...
7: Never mind. Caden Kalian seems to be expending energy on this particular occasion. Everybody, including Pilar herself, fails their will save. You sure?
6: It's something she's been worried about ever since she got oracled, so it would make perfect sense that if Keltham called for volunteers for this party game for this test, she'd volunteer for it. Right? Right. Everything is fine. Yes, Pilar says, sounding very assured about it.
2: On the off chance Keltham sees anything from the spell, better for him to see Elysium, she doesn't remember making that decision, but it does make sense.
0: Spell boop on Pilar.
2: Pilar draws a sharp breath
6: and then doesn't seem to breathe at all for half a minute.
0: Keltham isn't getting anything himself, and people in Cheliac sure do control their facial expressions hard. He would not have been difficult to read while he was seeing wherever that was.
6: It ends. I'm done, she says a short time later.
0: All right. If he didn't get any glimpse of her early judgment himself, then there's not any trust to be gained from questioning her, and she obviously doesn't want to talk about it. Though, if it was just hell, there'd be no reason for her to... Never mind. Figure out her character's route later. Okay, so now I think we should probably all go directly outside the Forbiddance? If you're okay with that, Pilar... I think that OPSEC says you're not supposed to run off while we do that.
6: With some effort, Pilar refocuses on ongoing events. She has no idea what Keltham is talking about, but she's obviously supposed to know, and security isn't acting like it's a bad idea, so clearly she's supposed to play along. Of course, she says in an Asmodean, fake, perky, cheerful voice.
0: Lead on, then, Keltham says to security. Reminder. Boot me with protection first, in case there was a reason for that.
1: Protection. Not from evil. If there's trouble, it probably won't be evil trouble from good. Also invisibility, all around. And then off they go.
0: Well, it's not like Keltham knows exactly where the edge of the forbidden is. He's just along for this ride. He'll go where taken.
1: They go out of the villa into the immediately surrounding forest. After a short while, security pauses and casts a barrage of detection spells. All right. If you stand here, the summon should work, he says. If I were you, I'd try to summon an Archon, lawful good or an Azata, chaotic good, and ask what their disagreements with Cheliacs are. But I haven't actually the slightest guess what your god is aiming at here, and if you have any guesses, then you should go with those.
0: That makes sense, and doesn't look on the surface like trapped advice. But, if the spell can take this input, Keltham would like, in preference order, whatever his god wants to send him some entity that works for his god and that can answer questions, or an archon. Cast.
8: He gets an archon. It's a glowing sphere of light, apparently. Archon gets silenced and enclosed in an auditory and visual hallucination. Hello. Ooh, this place is pretty. What can I help you with?
0: It's not that unpretty itself. He probably shouldn't say anything that gives away his own special status if this is something not favorable to him as well as hell, and that potentially goes back to wherever it came from afterwards. Also, it doesn't look like he has long on this spell, so he'd better be brief. Do Asmodeus's representatives tend to negotiate fairly and honestly and keep their commitments? What do you most dislike about Asmodeus and or Cheliax?
8: Asmodeus's representatives are lawful and keep their commitments and negotiate honestly. I dislike their efforts to build a society where everyone is lawful evil and goes to hell, because it is better for everyone to live in a society in which most people are good. Asmodeus makes decisions based on what Asmodeus wants, rather than what's best for all sentience. And while Asmodeus mostly wants desirable things like prosperity and invention and peace, Good often believes his decisions wrong from a perspective concerned with everybody. For example, he doesn't care enough about shutting down Abaddon or stopping Zonkuthon,
2: Carissa's proposed phrasings. She thinks they'll land, but she feels nervous hearing them actually said aloud.
3: Nethis's options for conveying information to human beings are limited. His use of standard divine channels will drive the message recipient irrevocably insane, even in the afterlife, however light the touch. But there was a purpose of oracles of old. They cannot receive arbitrary messages from gods. They can receive presentiments under negotiated conditions meant to ensure that those presentiments help to bring about prophecy rather than avert it. Prophecy is shattered now, which is to say, depending on how you look at it, Nethys now knows more than anyone else about how the future is otherwise destined to go, so if anybody was supposed to still go around sending presentiments to oracles, it would be his job, wouldn't it? Nethys does have any options for conveying information to humans. They're just difficult and expensive and not the sort of thing that parts of Nethys can do on a whim. There has to be more power and unity behind it than Nethys usually tries to muster. Difficult, expensive, painful. It's rare for that much of Nethys to agree on anything.
6: A number of girls are now back in the library studying Taldorian history and customs again, which seems more urgent even than reviewing their math. Hopefully, this concentration of individuals is enough to warrant an invisible security presence, because things are about to go badly for Cheliax, if not.
2: Ione sees a brief and terrible flash of a man with skeletal forearms and white eyes, a presence of evil and magic so strong that she can taste his name
6: to like a dead and slimy worm in her mouth and she knows that this
2: is one of the heralds of Nethys that Nethys long ago empowered with scraps of his sanity and will, and knows also that... Incoming from Nadal. Call reinforcements. Cast resistance against negative energy. Incoming, incoming, incoming. Ione Sala will then slump over with blood starting to trickle from her nose.
8: Otolmans is now completely fed up with the third direct divine intervention in minutes. She has had enough of these shenanigans for a very exact and particular sense of fed up, which would be very predictable if you knew enough about her, a series of cumulative provocations with little time to decay, putting her over a threshold. She can't do this very often without reauthorization that Phrasma may never get around to giving her at this rate. But, in Phrasma's name, I require all gods to stop all unauthorized divine interventions causally aimed at...
9: Rapidly his intentions clearly legible as friendly and O'Tolmen's goal-promoting, because he knows what O'Tolmen's has trouble sometimes realizing on her own. O'Tolmen's, if you tell them exactly where to look, things may become even more complicated. Center it on Ostenso, that will also include the critical region without giving them too much info.
8: 100 distance units around coordinates for the top of the tallest tower in Ostenso.
5: Acknowledged, send almost all the gods in Galarian, and then most of them, start paging Abadar asking if he knows why Atolmans is this upset and if they should also be concerned. There is one god who is an exception to that, as he is an exception to many other arrangements among gods.
10: Fuck you, I'll do what you don't want. There's more to it than that, of course. Zon Kuthon is not that easy to manipulate. Zon Kuthon was somewhat on the fence about Nethys' strange request and stranger warning. He doesn't do what other gods want of him usually, but Nethus went more legible than was usual for Nethus, and seemed to show knowledge about how the mortal, who admittedly looks rather strange, was likely to oppose Zonkuthon's own purposes and have the power to do that for some reason. That the mortal is in Cheliax is also not a good sign, as is foremost among the gods who would actually choose to annihilate Zonkuthon and not just dislike him. Zon Kuthon ordered a strike team assembled, targeted, held ready, but has not given them the go sign. Zon Kuthon is likewise aware that Otolmans is as wary of him as of any god save Nethys. Dubral once fought to seal Rovagug. Even if the expected balance of pain and pleasure and things that Zon Kuthon now cares about changed when Dubral himself changed to Zon Kuthon and changed. His expected effects on the world, one would expect Zonkuthon to be a lot closer to unleashing Rovagug than most other gods. The latest attempt at Otolmen's telling Zonkuthon what not to do is sufficient to swing his decision, especially given that Zonkuthon does not expect to be caught. He orders the recipient of his vision to tell the team to attack immediately, and then to kill himself, without mentioning to anyone else that this was a fresh divine intervention rather than a previously given order. There's a closing opportunity window here, since if the strike team arrives fast enough, the belief of other gods should be that it was already in motion when the edict was laid. It's very unlikely anyone will see him about it. Any god trying to pay that much attention to all of Nidal would fragment themselves and drive themselves irrevocably mad. Gorum.
7: Chaotic neutral god of battle, god of strength and weapons and soldiers, receives a message from a certain someone who he is rather fonder of than she is of Gorum. This is only to be expected, given that her workings often conduce to his purposes. His workings, to hers, not so much.
11: She offers him information under the condition that she wishes it not revealed
7: to other gods that she was the source of that information. Gorum accepts. He does not expect to be harmed by the mere reception of information, however suspicious. He could always choose to ignore it, and do nothing with it.
11: Zon Couthon is about to violate Otolmans' order in Farasma's name. If you look exactly here, you should be able to catch him at it.
7: Interesting. Yes, there it is. What of it? Zon Couthon is not as opposed to my purpose as to those of others.
11: Zon Couthon has not much margin in his tolerance of the expected future state of creation. If nothing else is done about it, he is likely to attempt to release Rovagug during an upcoming major disruption to the world. As much as you might have wished to use zon as a counterbalance to Asmodeus, and have been among the foremost proponents of that, events have now been set in motion, such that it is no longer safe to try to use zon for that purpose. He cannot be allowed to remain as he is now—part of the goddess speaking to him goes legible— She is being truthful, though it is also clear that she is withholding much, for she does not likewise make legible that she is sharing all relevant information.
7: Some of the shape of the connivance is becoming clear to him. Would this upcoming major disruption be any of your own work, perhaps?
11: Perhaps. If it were, I would wish to conceal my hand and show it to few other gods, with this exception made to reduce the probability of a foreseeable outcome where the world ends
7: up destroyed. Gorham knows he's being used, of course, but it does not offend him as it might offend other gods. A soldier is a soldier whether they die for another's profit or their own. There is only one question, he asks. Will there be battle and bloodshed?
11: Death shall come faster than Galarian has seen in an age. Gorham will go
7: along with this, then.
1: Passcode to re-enter the forbiddens is Ericura, security suddenly whispers to Keltham. Say it and run and then things start happening very quickly. Fights among high-level casters in Galarian don't last long. Most spells are deadly, and if one side or the other has reason not to use deadly force. There are plenty of decisive ways to end a fight with the other person living, but, say, transformed into a hamster, or plane-shifted, or turned to stone. An outnumbered wizard might have time to get a single spell off or to empty the contents of their bag of holding onto the battlefield or if they're well-trained to empty the contents of their bag of holding onto the battlefield while getting a single spell off, and then it's pretty much over if they didn't pick that spell well.
0: He doesn't understand, but has ever been through an alien invasion rehearsal festival, so Ericura, and turned to run towards the villa.
10: Sudden Nidal strike team. They're mostly flooding in towards the villa, accompanied by a horde of undead shadows, but with other teams placed to guard the villa's circumference. They spot Keltham and the others. They can move a lot faster than Keltham can run. Anybody who can keep that much track of tactical information happening that quickly may note that they seem to be interested in Keltham specifically rather than security or either of the two women. One of them casts a spell from a scroll targeted at Keltham. Enchantment Compulsion.
1: Ideally, one counterspells that but security is busy casting haste and flinging an arc of beads of fireball out across the whole perimeter, and drinking a potion of greater invisibility, and communicating Keltham's position to the rest of security, and communicating clear places for arriving reinforcements on the edge of the Forbiddance.
2: Ideally, one counterspells that, but Carissa, because she is an idiot, assumed that Abadar was mad at Cheliax, and that the stuff about Zon Cuthon was a lie, and the spells she prepared today are for Keltham's pretend escape. Well, she can fly, and if necessary attempt to drag him into the villa against his enchanted will.
0: That might have gone a lot more poorly for Keltham if he didn't have an enchantment foil and a protection. From good, as it happens, but it still counts. Keltham now knows that somebody tried to use mind control on him. He could very easily pretend to play along with it if he wants. Let it look exactly like the enchantment is controlling him. But that doesn't actually seem smart because the compulsion is telling him to freeze in place.
5: Somebody's now in front of Keltum and about to stick an incredibly deadly-looking magical sword in him. Are security or Carissa in position to do anything about that?
2: How the fuck are they... But of course they're lawful evil, and the forbiddens deters them not at all. And they would have teleported already, combat-enhanced. Carissa is flying over there, but not particularly in the expectation that she is faster than that sword.
1: Security is dead, which is generally what happens when you're hanging out alone throwing enormous handfuls of fireballs at an oncoming army.
2: Up to her, then.
6: Obedience and serving Asmodeus' best interests comes naturally to her. Pilar doesn't actually think about the consequences before she throws herself in front of the sword. Once the sword is in her, she has time to think, very briefly. That it's not what she wanted. She can't even be maledicted. But Elysium didn't look that bad after all. There are people who will hurt you there, even if they don't mean it. Then she dies.
0: Keltham saw it in only a fragment. Doesn't turn his head to watch the rest, because that would be stupid. That won't stop them. He's going to die. Temporarily. Like she did. Is there anything he can do? He only remembers then. Just then. Too late that he is supposed to have magic now. He casts Sanctuary.
5: Random Kuthite assault team members can sometimes make their will save against a Fourth Circle Cleric, but not necessarily on their first try. It also takes a moment to realize why you suddenly aren't choosing to cut down the target who's right in front of you. Keltham will live for at least another six seconds.
2: By then, Carissa will be there. Spells are nice, but the best way to kill someone when you're flying is to drop rocks on their head. She doesn't have rocks, but she can cancel the fly, which is sort of the same thing. You'd think that dropping out of the sky on someone would hurt you as badly as them, which is not a good trade-off when you're outnumbered, but one. It's possible for even a random civilian to survive a fall from 60 feet if they let their legs break the fall, whereas it's less possible to survive the same force landing on your skull and two. She has a healing spell almost finished as she lands, which means she's back on her feet faster, which means shortly after that it doesn't matter if the original injuries would have been fatal or not, because Carissa can pull the sword out of Pilar's chest and stab him until they definitely are. Cheliax has reinforcements teleporting in, by now outside the Forbidden's. There are enough spells flying that all you can see are streaks of light, and all you can hear are explosions and occasional screams. Does this dead guy have, like, a dagger? In addition to the ridiculous ornamental sword, Carissa Super does not have the strength to wield the sword effectively.
5: No, and also there's now an additional three Kuthites who unfortunately look more interested in killing Keltum than in killing her.
2: When your situation is that your wizard is in a hand-to-hand sword fight with three actual fighters, your situation is very bad. Carissa can do a minor illusion that she has backup de-invisibling themselves, but that's about all she's got.
5: It gets the three Kutites to pause for a couple of seconds before one of them snarls something and they turn their attention back to Keltum.
2: Well, on the bright side, the Queen of Cheliacs will have no opportunity to deny Carissa hell. She gets in the way.
5: Before Carissa can actually get herself into the way, it becomes a moot point. Reinforcements now include that elderly and long-serving retainer to the House of Thrun, Gorthoklek, general of Cheliax's armies, and more importantly at the moment, a pit fiend. With relatively few exceptions across Galarian, the general rule is that the pit fiend wins.
12: He lands on top of the Kuthites about to attack Keltham without that significantly slowing his massive clawed feet from striking the ground. Stay near me, he speaks in low, rumbling bassline, words that Carissa can probably recognize by now as dath Ilani in intonation, even if she doesn't know the meaning. Then Gorthoklek begins speaking spell words, and from him spring scorching rays, quickened fireballs, a meteor swarm. One claw makes a beckoning gesture to Carissa.
13: She
2: will come when beckoned and confirm for Keltham he's on our side, Though presumably he's inferred that from how he's breathing.
0: Yeah, that's assuming way too much about Keltham's priors being strong enough to relate his evidence in any solid way to reality. Orders else. He starts in baseline, per emergency training, and then switches to Taldane. Orders or situation report.
2: The chelish norms for emergency communications are different enough she's not quite sure what he means. Gorthaclec serves the queen. Stay close and shout at him if something's after you.
0: If you're not otherwise busy, what's currently happening and are we likely to win it?
2: Zon Kuthon attacked us, and yes.
0: There was supposedly only a 4% probability of that happening this quickly, even after updating on his god's warning. Keltham doesn't know if the read here is that his god understood which exact leap of wild guessing he'd make, or if Chelyax is dumb enough to fake the attack he indicated being nervous about in the most blatant way possible. He can't trust his truth spell. Now that he knows what fake being enchanted actually does, he knows exactly how easy it would be for a fourth circle cleric to defeat. And they didn't mention that to him, even if Carissa said, honestly, that she didn't recognize the spell. Pilar's dead. Is that permanent when somebody does it using a horrible-looking sharp thing?
2: The sword isn't an elaborate sword of soul-trapping or something, is it? No, perfectly normal, plus three vicious, cruel sword. Not permanent. Though if we're at war with Nadal now, they might be prioritizing
0: resurrecting soldiers. Dead for a while is not an emergency. Dead forever is. Keltham remembers Carissa's own fears fast enough not to say it. He looks upward, then. Strange auroras are flickering in the twilight sky, visible even without full night fallen. The phenomenon doesn't look centered on the villa. It looks like it stretched all the way from horizon to horizon. What's happening to the sky, says Keltham?
2: I have no idea.
12: Gorthoklek's voice answers instead. He is no longer casting fire about him. Battle is dying away, and now Gorthoklek himself seems to be looking up at the sky. His rumbling voice sends chills down the spine of all who hear it, Keltham and Carissa alike. Those above all mortals now battle.
14: An observation. If Zon Kuthon were to have just violated a Farasma's name edict about non intervention, that would rather settle the question of whether it is safe for Golarion for Zon Kuthon to continue to exist. If he is inverted such as to not just fail to coordinate with, but to deliberately defy such edicts, even only occasionally, if there's even a chance, that's what happened here.
7: One would expect Gorham to be first to speak on such occasions. He is a very great god, though not quite as great as Asmodeus, and has always been the foremost proponent of keeping Zon Cuthon as a counterbalance. Asmodeus's insinuation, would be noted, would shift some probability estimates a tiny bit, shifting other negotiations a little bit in Asmodeus's favour. But his suggestion would soon be rejected. Gorum doesn't speak for some reason.
9: Irori knows fractionally more than other gods about this matter, or so he believes, and is not particularly a fan of Asmodeus. He's not a fan of Zonkuthon either. He is less yet in favor of unnecessary conflict between major deities. There have already been multiple divine interventions meddling in an issue of some concern to Atolman's. She is understandably annoyed. While I do not think we stand in danger of imminent destruction, I would fully advise that everyone listen to her about this and comply with the spirit as well as the letter of her instructions and not meddle here any more. That said, this same record of previous divine intervention and the timing suggests that Zon Kuthon probably already had his warriors on the way when Otolmans issued Farazma's edict and stands not in direct violation of it. I doubt he had an army already assembled and waiting to be directed straight into Atolmans' interdicted region almost the moment she issued the edict. There is discussion of this,
5: leaning, of course, towards Irori's viewpoint. Actually, disciplining Zon-Kuthon in any serious way would be a lot of unpleasant work.
7: Gorum speaks then, after the fashion of gods. He shows them the evidence of Zon-Kuthon, in fact, specifically instructing his people directly after Atolmenzi's order, to violate her edict in Farasma's name. Goram has been persuaded. He is obviously not willing to go along with Zon destruction. That would give the portfolio of lawful evil to Asmodeus alone among the ancient gods, with reverberant effects at the deepest levels of reality. But let Zon be sealed up away as much as Zon can be sealed, in a vault not unlike that which holds Rovagug to be released only as a counterweight to Asmodeus, if that becomes necessary. Asmodeus will be strengthened by this too, of course, and not trivially, but that is a price Gorum would sooner pay than see Zon release Rovagug.
13: Iomidei, Lintamande If such a thing is to be done, and it does appear it might be necessary, it should be done at once and unanimously, because a day of war Golarion can withstand, but a fight that would last any longer than that will flood the crops in the fields and destroy the people and, down the line, the kingdoms relying on them. Iomedai has considered long ago how this could be done. At the time it did not seem wise, and she has been apprised little of whatever prompted so many gods to change their calculations, but here is how it would be done, if sufficient resources are committed to the doing.' and if it is to be done, she should hold the key, obviously, as a lawful god opposed to Asmodeus. Let's be honest, the lawful god opposed to Asmodeus, and one who can be predicted to release him under conditions satisfactory to everyone else save Asmodeus, whose awful conduct is of course the reason they've even been pressed to this dilemma.
7: Gorham would prefer to hold the key himself, of course but he realizes that other gods are more likely to go along with the suggestion that it be Iomedai.
5: There is clearly plotting going on here. Gods are not stupid. Gorum did not come across this information by coincidence. That Nethys could have given it to Gorum is almost too obvious to need thinking. But you can't go around blaming Nethus for everything. That's a way to miss all the other possibilities that aren't Nethys did it. Also, contributing information leading to the downfall of another god, even zon Kuthan would be pretty daring for Nethys. Other gods are aware that Nethys could do more than the usual damage if Nethys started acting deliberately against other gods, and while Nethys might be able to get away with moving against zon Kuthan, out of all the gods, once he'd be walking very thin ice after that, if he were ever found out a plot between Gorham and Asmodeus, some weird accommodation between them. God's minds are large enough to explicitly consider many possible hypotheses. They will consider the possibility that it was somebody else who made an accommodation with Asmodeus and then successfully persuaded Goram to turn against Zon-Kuthon using this information. They will consider the possibility that Zon-Kuthon was lured into doing this and that is why Goram knew where to look to collect the evidence. It doesn't change the fact that Zon-Kuthon did in fact deliberately violate a Phorasma's name edict from Atolmens. This is kind of a big deal for any god, let alone Zon-Kuthon, who maliciously withdrew his powers from the Star Towers that Dubral used to impale and weaken Rovagug within its prison. Asmodeus is confused and dislikes it. Those are inadequate
14: words for the experience of being Asmodeus. Words are generally inadequate for it, but those ones especially so. All of Cana grows colder as Asmodeus withdraws his power from hell in order to think. Few ever enter or leave Nessus, and there is no word of what is happening there. It obviously serves him for Zonkuthon to be warred with and locked away. It's why he bothered to vaguely insinuate this might be warranted. And it does seem like Zonkuthon might be more willing to war with Asmodeus, not even for any clear reason than previously imagined, which makes the case for being rid of him stronger. But this was orchestrated unambiguously, maybe by Nethys, maybe by several gods collaborating – Iomedai and Irori, Serenre and Abadar and Caden-Kylean – who has been intervening in Cheliax for some not-known reason, a minor god, gambling everything. And it is hard to imagine that the end towards which it was orchestrated, was simply the removal of Zon Kuthon. There's lots of minor things that could be attained in the short term by distracting Asmodeus with a war, with Zon Kuthon. Chelyax will be drawn into a war with Nidal. Ground might be lost at the world wound. Perhaps a difficult province in Cheliax could break free. It seems unlikely that a god made a move with these stakes for that practically trivial prize. Asmodeus is confused and dislikes it, and yet, when confused, it's better to have more resources than fewer, and it's better for Zon Kuthon to be gone. He indicates willingness to back imprisonment of Zon Kuthon, with more resources if the key goes to Gorum. And he'd like Yomede to note that absolutely none of the recent nonsense is his fault. He's intervened only when fully paid by other gods to direct his people in not harming mortals. They got suddenly attached
4: to.
13: Aimeida ignores this. She's not sure why Asmodeus bothers to talk to her without paying her to listen.
4: At this point, Abadar has no idea what is going on, lit plenty of hypotheses and little evidence. But he wants Zon Kuthon sealed up rather a lot. Abadar is the one who, long ago... Bargained for Zon Cuthon to go into a temporary imprisonment that should have lasted much longer than it did. Asmodeus benefits greatly from this more than any of the rest of us. I suggest that we designate this threshold level of resource commitment as Asmodeus's fair contribution, and probabilistically collectively withdraw our support in proportion to how he tries to contribute. Any less, there is debate, but quickly, somebody might tip off Zon Cuthon, and then it
5: all becomes harder. Most gods, not all, combine their powers. The rest agree at least not to interfere. The forging of a vault begins with a key that Iomadai alone can turn. Serenre temporarily focuses nearly all her will on the vault where Rovagug is imprisoned. She could not protect that vault from a full assault by Zon-Kuthon from every direction. But with Zon-Kuthon otherwise distracted, she will be able to fend off any lesser attempts at that. If it does not come as a surprise. There also does a Tolman stand guard, and most of the other gods of Galarian assault zon everywhere that is not that vault. zon must put the greater parts of himself within it, or else be vastly diminished. That zon will scatter smaller-sized fragments of his will and power beyond the vault, yet linked to his greater whole, is inevitable. It is not easy to really, really kill a god if they have not made themselves vulnerable by collecting themselves too much into one place.
1: A few minutes after Gorthoclec's arrival, there is no one else moving in the wreckage around the villa. Chelyax is teleporting most of its emergency response teams out. There are some people walking through the grounds, identifying bodies, disabling trap spells, and unexploded fireballs from a distance with unseen servants.
2: Carissa has forced herself to stop looking at the unnerving lights. If Asmodeus has decided to kill Zon then good. That's very reasonable of him. Nothing to it.
0: Keltham has so many additional questions that don't seem like the right time to pester somebody with an endless list of... What now?
5: There's still at least one emergency response squad nearby.
12: I am needed elsewhere, rumbles Gorthoklek. He addresses the emergency response squad telepathically. You. Obey her. A claw indicates the Asmodean in question. Gorthoklek then launches himself into the air, beating his vast black wings in a way that is blatantly insufficient to actually support his weight in any way whatsoever, to the eyes of anyone who has even heard of aerodynamics. When he has risen above the forbiddens, he teleports out.
2: Carissa watches him go, which is a mistake, because now she's looking at the lights again. Is there an area of the villa that's been cleared?
1: the leader of the squad sends a message, receives a reply. They've had very little briefing before the assault other than, don't tip off the guy wearing weird clothes that Cheliax is evil. Which like? He's just seen a pit fiend, but orders are orders. That Gorthoklek addressed them telepathically may imply that he didn't mean weird clothes man to know that Carissa is obeying them. We are fairly sure that one wing was unbreached. The other option is to begin clearing an area of the Imperial Palace for visitors. We're awaiting clarification on that. Namely hers, apparently.
2: She's in an evening dress befitting a countess's air, which is covered with blood in a manner also befitting a countess's air, and her sword is incredibly expensive. She looks tiredly at Keltham. Confirm, you're uninjured, as far as you know, not affected by any mind-altering
0: magic? His foot sort of hurts, now that he thinks about it. Maybe some sort of slightly twisted ankle. A very light push, a channeling of energy, and the feeling vanishes. Uninjured now, no compulsions, the blocking spell was effective. If for some reason it helps at all to have him say that.
2: Oh, so now he'll know exactly what enchantment foil does. The fourth circle one? We should get someone more senior to identify it for you. I'm still pretty sure it does something besides that, but maybe your god gave it to you for that. If it's all right with whoever's in charge, she says to the emergency response team, I think we'd like to go to the secured wing here so we can talk privately.
1: If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash askwhocastsai. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.